Welcome to the Real Education Podcast with me, Tamara Svahani, and Chris Winston-Longley. Hello, Hello. Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I preempted Yeah, I know, and you always get it, well, I always get it wrong, so I never, you're preempting if you're going to talk over me, so I'm sorry. So let's try that again. Hello. Hello, Chris. Hello. Oh, I've done it again. <laughs> Anyway, let's leave that and move on. We're joined today um, by somebody who I've spoken to before. Um, actually, Sandra, why don't you introduce yourself? That's probably the best way of doing it. I'm Sandra Capozzi. I am the Executive Head Teacher at Academy 21, uh, the UK's leading online alternative provision. Excellent. And when you say online provision, for those of us that don't know... What does that mean, Sandra? Good, good question. I think that obviously there's fewer and fewer people that don't know about online provision now since the pandemic or, or, and whatnot. But for those of you who, um, who, who don't know, we're talking about uh, full online learning for young people in the British curriculum through their computers, uh, wherever they are, whether they're in school or whether they are um, at home, giving them that access to learning, which for whatever reason, they're, they're not able to have it at that time. For us at A21, that, that's fully live lessons, but there are other models where, where it might be recording based or, or a stream, for example. And um, that's um, that's the, the way that we choose to do it. And it, you've got a broad curriculum of, of all the subjects that you that you might expect, um, as well as kind of extra welfare support for, for the young people that use our service. And the people that do use our service, they're, they're all around the UK. So we've, we worked with well over four and a half thousand children last year, well over 800 schools and lots of local authorities. So it's it's happening everywhere um, to a different degree. And this is not a direct response from the pandemic, is it? You guys have been around for a, for a lot longer, haven't you? Yeah, that's 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 correct. Uh, I think since the pandemic, a number of providers have have stepped up, and that's that's a positive. I think the growth in the sector is is a, is a really good thing. Um, but we've been going we've been going from yeah, before that. So um, our our whole company's been going since since two thousand five, um, and Academy Twenty One a few years after that. So we've been providing this kind of experience for young people, yeah, for for lots and lots of years, and and crafting and honing what we do and, and the student experience because of that. I think. Um, I mean, the pandemic's an interesting thing because it's those kind of crises are uh, crucibles of invention, I think is a fair way of, of, of saying it. And you, you've got technological um, advancement. You've got also kind of social acceptance as well. So these things kind of coalesce to mean that online is better known, it's better resourced, it's it's more accepted um, and, and much more mainstream. So I think there's definitely a positive aspect to that. Uh, but we've been going from before. Yeah. Chris, did you want to say something? Uh, yes, I did. I was just... Um... <laughs> I'm just wondering if the students you have, do they all come from local authority? Do schools recommend you or, or they come from, or do you work, when you say alternative, um, do you work with home educators? Can someone just just sort of sign on as a parent and, and teach their children at home using your resources? That's a great question. Actually, probably really useful for your listeners to know the, the types of people that use our service. I, the majority of schools, so we, we, we sell uh, our services or we provide services directly to institutions, so schools or local authorities. The vast majority come from schools, actually, themselves, about 80%, um, and about the other 20% are um, alternative provisions uh, already. So we actually power, for want of a better word, the, the, the learning in core subjects in AP centres around, around the country, and they're obviously the ones run by local authorities. So kind of a mix there, um, but majority actually straight into schools. They might have a unit on site where, where we are providing that that quality full-time live education for them in those subjects that they need that perhaps they can't resource um, through their through their teaching body. Um, in terms of parents, that's a really good question. Parents wouldn't use Academy 21 directly, uh, but they may go to their school and say, 
this is something I'd like you to consider if a child's a persistent absentee for whatever reason. But actually our sister school, which is a bigger school actually, Kings Inter High, that is the one that they go direct to. And that is a real, it's a full offer, full-time school, pastoral clubs. Um, it's connected uh, as well as Academy 21 to our wider education group, Inspired. And that's where we have thousands of parents using us for loads of different reasons. Some of it is the anxiety an angle and not coping in school, mental health. Other is travel, and they might have another passion that they need education to fit around. And another one is actually accessing quality British curriculum around the world. So that, that school, for example, we're the first to offer the International Baccalaureate Diploma Programme online. And we've got students on that in 40 different countries around the world. <laughs> you've got children in Botswana, children in the Bahamas, you've got children in uh, every single corner of the planet learning with one another. So we've got both direct to school and um, direct to, to parents. And it's um, it's, a, it's both really a, an affordable rate, um, so it's attractive. When you say learning with each other, um, does that mean when you, uh, I mean, I've only, I've looked at your website, which is the only information I've, I've sort of got, um, and it says classes of 15 and, and you'll be in the same cohort, etc. Do Can the children talk to children in other countries or would the cohort be, once it's established, it's, that's it. I, I was thinking sort of pen pals type thing. Okay, can, yeah. can they talk and share share experience? Yeah, we have like so so with Kings at Hyde there and and equally um, in Academy Twenty One, we've got different means of participation. Is probably the best way to to describe it. So uh, there's clubs options um, at Kings and Hyde. There's about eighty clubs on at the moment, which is really great, and they're 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 direct to to each other. There's kind of a social forum in there as well. There's uh, tutor time. There's lots of the same structures you'd expect to see in in a physical school, maybe supercharged a little bit because of the scale that we've got. And, and, you know, every teacher offers something and technology really allows you to get to other people. But yeah, absolutely in the classroom, they're communicating with one another, um, able to you know, share ideas in whatever forum that is, um, which is great if you think about the, the international perspectives these young people get for it. Um, I mean, A21, um, some of the students are, are quite vulnerable uh, and they're there because they've um, the the classroom setting has been overwhelming and so we've got ways for them to participate through uh chat pods um in breakout rooms where it's kind of it's a smaller setting with the teacher um and, and different kind of methods but we do student voice as well so you know students can see each other's commentary in like a poll for example or they can fill in a survey and they get kind of feedback on that so yeah depending on the type of learner we've got different ways and one of the good things uh, we do is kind of contribution levels so students can select you know, if the microphone is going to be used, um, camera is going to be used and, and, and things like that. Can I, uh, sorry, Chris, I'm just going to interrupt because I want to come back to Academy 21 because it is quite unique in its, uh, in its formats of, of what it's focusing on and targeting. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the questions that I have, and, and, and this isn't, I mean, this, this might be impacted by obviously post COVID and, and the way that we saw the education system well, react, not necessarily respond um, to, to what happened, but has it, is it difficult to try to get local education authorities on board with this? Do they see this as a, well, I don't know. How do they see it? Because traditionally I would have thought trying to get support for, learners in school that may need more support outside of the traditional send co kind of established um format if you like within the schools i, ju I just wonder how how well local education authorities take that on board and how they how they compare it to an internal send co program for example that's a really really good question um 
it it, it will change over it changes over time but right now then it's well understood that a variety of alternative provisions are needed for young people in in, in this country that's a different thing from saying that the investment uh, is in for that at this moment in time but it's well understood that uh, humans are complex young people are complex young people are neurodivergent uh, just as adults are as well and um, you need to have a suite of things we work directly with scores of local authorities and we're on their framework so many of them will have either a directory or a local framework that lists providers that they have done a quality assurance exercise with um, so we're on a lot of those we just we just work through them as they as they as they come up um, so there's no issue around uh, online being being an, an alternative provision in fact it's it's often something that because the pace it can be turned on at it's really prioritised. So if you've got a young person who's been excluded or a young person for, who's got a very immediate need, um, physical APs who do an amazing job, um, they can't just turn it on on the Monday, but online can. And there's uh, a just, just Sorry, just for our listeners, an AP is? Alternative provision. So, yep. so um, you've got your schools. An alternative provision is where a child might not be learning in a, in a mainstream school that, that's free to go to, as it were. Um, that's different from an independent school that you might pay to go to. Um, so this could be um, a specialist unit if you've got a, an additional uh, need um, uh, that really caters for, for, for that special educational need. It could be um, something like an online school, but actually also alternative provision might include um, some form of activity, equine therapy or something. Um, something I live down on the coast. There's an amazing alternative provision here that does all things kind of water sports. Um, so that's it. So there's a big range of them, basically. So how do they how do they pay for it then, Sandro? Because I presume it would be, oh yeah, how will they pay for it? And, and is yes. it competitive? Yeah. So I guess um, again, multiple routes in. The, the school will confirm those school funds. Academy Twenty One, obviously, schools get funding for each pupil, and if they think that this is the right thing for them, um, they they will use some of that for it. Many pupils come with uh, additional monies. Maybe they've got an education, health and care plan or um, a part of the pupil premium grant. Um, so that can be used. Um, the With Kings and Thai, parents will fund that, obviously, but the, in, and, and that, that's a slightly different thing. But for A21, that, that's that's how it works. I think it's worth noting, you know, we school, the budgets are, are challenging in schools at the moment. And, and there is uh, much when you've got something like absence levels at you know, 21, 22% for persistent absence, as, as we see at this moment of time, that is something that needs serious investment to get right. Um, but so schools are seeing the value in in doing that, but they could always do with a bit more to kind of get get the momentum going um, um, to get there. But there are there are ways in, in, in which schools find the funding for it, yeah. And can one of the things that's really interesting for me, especially with something like this, is that this, for me, seems like and and chris please come in if, if i'm kind of going a little bit off piste here but you know i i look at it in a way that this is a really good way to effectively diversify a curriculum um it's a really simple easy way that can help a school diversify the things that they're teaching and and offer more options is that something that schools or senior leaders within schools and academies can look at um academy 21 to help you know increase their offering for their for their students yeah definitely uh, yeah absolutely you've got um people will remember you know the child who might have done one a level in another another local school or or um learnt german after school because their parents are german and they were doing a qualification in that that kind of thing they absolutely can um if your school is unable to offer uh, for whatever reason size capacity um the, the, the 
particularly if a teacher is a specialist, then they're able to contact um, inspired online schools and, and we, we can offer we can offer that to them. So we see that a lot, actually. Um, and it's great. You know, the IB is a good example of that. Our A-level provision is a great example of that. For us, we're able to offer Academy 21. We've got functional skills qualifications um, that we're able to enable students to, to do that. They might they might not elsewhere. The big boon, though, really is the environment. It's you're thinking about how can the child access their curriculum who's not coping in a physical school environment uh, and either affecting themselves or affecting others. That's where it really comes in. And, and a recent report you'll know about the right support, right place, right time from the SEND review. That has like that is all about a review of how the SEND services are um, are working effectively to the extent the extent to which they are or are not, and alternative provision and looking at alternative provision in three ways. And it's quite a useful framework for people to know. It's kind of an immediate quick support to course correct, something that's kind of transitional and medium. So they might be there for a few months and it's it's longer term to, to offer some um, uh, space for a change it, for that child and then longer term where the child isn't going to be going back into physical school and you're waiting for them to either go to the next key stage or onto something else and you've got these kind of three tiers and what I, I like to think of it in those terms because that is where the government is looking to direct investment and actually online fits in all of those where we have students who fall in into all of those different categories um, so it's quite interesting so there is more talk about it at the moment but what I would say is um, you know, broadening the curriculum is one definite thing, but our real need now is actually to cope with the very real challenges that quite large swathes of our young people are facing um, and, the, and the, the teachers as well, because, you know, it's all an interconnected web where you've got um, maybe um, depleted services elsewhere that schools are then picking up, social services kind of style activity. Um, you've got, you, you know, that's more for the school to do. So it's, um, this is just one solution that fits for them to help them deal with something that perhaps they weren't dealing with 10 years ago. Chris, did you want to? Um, yeah, I was just thinking slightly sideways. Um, it, it, it's very interesting what you were saying about that you, that you offer additional uh, sort of options for things um, that, that will enhance a, a mainstream education. But I was sort of thinking, as you were saying, it, I was thinking, yes, and, and some of the problems with the absence are actually caused by the mainstream system itself. So in a way, you're you're helping them to deal with some issues that that maybe they're not able to to sort out. Well, you know, just funding wouldn't do it. They'd they'd have to change maybe the way. If you have a child, I think who, who's very nervous or, or can't cope with a class of 30, 35 children, um, or has anxiety issues or whatever, funding won't really help a school. Right. Whereas whereas you can offer an, an actual yeah. solution. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely, Chris. Just one. Another example would be a child who may not be able to cope with six lessons a day uh, in a very re regimented fashion. Schools are um, schools are in a very tight spot with this. You, you, you. I, th I think sometimes people don't quite understand uh, exactly how a school routine works. So, if you've got children in school, you're responsible for them. You, uh, as the adults, I used to be a deputy head teacher in charge of behaviour and pastoral. Is that was the main thing? Are these children safe? Are they well? Are they there for access and education? You can't have a situation where period four each day, the child just can't go to lesson because there very often isn't. And you can't have that on scale. It might work for one or two children and you might have so with, with additional needs. But actually, it, they can't just go off and be in the library. They need to be supervised. There's not it's it doesn't work like that. You, you see this writ large in kind of strange debates around should children go to the toilet or not? And you see people get really polarised by what actually is a pretty straightforward answer. It's, you know, just be reasonable case by case kind of thing. But there is a 
there, that's true. And your, your example is exactly the same where, 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 where a child might not cope in that setting. The model of schooling, there isn't a huge amount of flexibility that they've got, but schools do a great job of trying to inject it. They do a really good job, but there comes a point where you're actually thinking the amount it's going to take to work for this child, it really is square peg round hole. Like we cannot change our the fabric of what we're doing, the model of the day for, for everyone to make that work for them. Um, and so that's where services like ours are really useful because if you can input them in and graph them on at different points, then it can really help a young person. I'd also I'd also caution people thinking that children are always not coping with a model because actually I used to see all the time year seven goes really well, really, really well. And people are like, oh, this is amazing. This has really worked. And then something goes wrong in year eight, um, a social thing, a, par a parental bre a breakdown with a parent or whatever it might be. But then by the time they get to GCSE, the child's OK again. Uh, with that model of schooling and so it's really important to remember that flexibility that ch children don't just stay need in a fixed kind of model of learning that works for them it's the same with learning styles you know we talk people talk about learning styles you know are you an auditory or a visual learner it's just there's there's no there's no basis for any of that things change over over time um and that's and that's useful to think so if you can think flexibly about the kind of vision that you've got in your school and, and you can fund it it can be really valuable and that's before we even talk about the fact that we're talking with very digitally capable young people whose well, whole lives. And, and we're going to come straight on. <laughs> I'm going to let, I'm gonna let yeah. Chris. I'm going to let Chris finish because there are a couple of points that I'll pick up on. But absolutely, yeah. we're going to get. We are going to get on. To yeah, yeah, great. No, it's, it's a really good. Point. I, I think the last question is. Uh, it's just about the pandemic, really. That everything you're talking about would have been true for pre-pandemic. Um, but did you notice with the pandemic that that since then that you've had. Um, just different areas you've had to focus on, really different way, different solutions you've had to find for either things that you that you weren't experiencing before the pandemic yeah. with students, or students weren't experiencing, yeah, um, or whether just some certain things have come to the fore. Yeah, well, I think the latter questions are really good. Look, I was still in uh, mainstream physical school as a deputy head teacher during the pandemic, and 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 I, I mean, I say after, obviously there are still vestiges of it now, but. Um, the the main thing the main things i would say uh, and let's start, kind of talk at a high level on this online pedagogy breaking the fourth wall online presence people tried to learn to teach online in a way they hadn't done before in two days and there was a lot of really good like quick work the eef for example did a really quick uh, uh evidence review of, of what works we work really hard in our school on online presence how do you reach through the screen because it's different right um and so that has come to the fore and that I think that's going to be constant that how you deliver we've all sat through training sessions as adults online that have been pretty mundane and we've also i had one today actually with a, with a chap that was actually really good really riveting i was thinking this guy's style is perfect for it so so that has come to the fore um other things to think about i think more at a, a, a social level is there has been a break in the social contract or the what we think about school in 2008, we have now got the same levels of persistent absence now as we had in 2008. Massive campaigns and really hard work across successive governments to get that down to, um, to single figures. That will take the same amount of time again. And that's quite disheartening for people. But what's underneath it? Well, at the time, they realise they're realising that people don't see the value of the loss of value in missing a school day. So your campaigns are all around that. Um, now you've got that same issue we've got to kind of re-educate people but the problem you've got is you have proven for many people that you can miss a school day and the sky doesn't fall in but actually if that becomes an entrenched habit in almost all cases it will be really detrimental for a young person so lots of deep thought about how you go about 
incentivizing and making it a norm again to go to school a lot but you've got to make school a place that people want to go to and a place that where it doesn't really work for a young person there's flexible options like online to make that work what's what's different now to 2008 is there's so many more options for people to do instead of physical school um and therefore that argument is even harder so we're in for a couple of decades i would say of of hard work around this so they're the big two changes online pedagogy but also how do we bring young people and parents back to the idea of you know learning where the learning is provided side note make sure the learning and the method it's provided is actually something that is right so they are the i'd say the big themes um around it and that's before we even talk about arguably increasing mental health um, and concerns amongst young people um but since that since the time of you know was I'm not even talking about isolation here, but it's just a massive upheaval in how you live your life. Um, so, yeah. And, and global pedagogy as well. Sorry, Chris, go on. Sorry, it's my last one, I promise. No, 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 carry on. <laughs> um, when you were talking about the missing a lesson, yes, I mean, I, I was very aware when I was teaching that we were always talking about absence and everything, but kids knew. They were, they sometimes lots didn't happen in a lesson. They, they'd just be, um, for want of a better word, wasting their time. Um, what I notice on, on your side is that you say that all attendance, progress and engagement measurements are done each lesson yeah. almost. So you actually are creating a record that schools don't have. I mean, no one watched every single one of my lessons checking the engagement of yeah, the children, yeah. whereas you have a model that can do that and actually show what your lesson will actually achieve and what the child has achieved within that within every lesson they take well and that's the assessment point that everybody keeps banging on about that they can't do effectively in a classroom but because of your setup presumably it's much easier to get those analytics it is i mean you've got like you've got the ability you've got the ability online to get more telemetry is probably a good way of, yeah. of, of describing it but our teachers there are making like teachers make judgments all the time in lots and lots of judgments in physical classrooms all around the world all the time they're constantly assessing for learning questioning that kind of thing well effective teachers are anyway and we know that that's the single biggest driver of improvement for young people is the quality of your teacher not your school you go to not even where you live it's the quality of the teacher in that classroom yeah. um we we assess we give like a judgment point on each child's um contribution effort understanding interaction in lesson but the reason we do that actually is to empower the power people back at school we want the teachers to know this is how they're coping in our provision this is what you can see and get that pattern of engagement because once you've got that data set you can see okay this child is really thriving um 11 o'clock to one o'clock maybe my next step for getting them back into the physical school which is if that's what they want is part-time timetable focused on that meeting just before it and not really trying to hammer the point of getting them in at the very beginning of the school day, chat to the child, suddenly you uncover that at the beginning of school day is incredibly fraught and they panic at the school gate. And But they're thriving later on or there might be some sort of um, health concern. By, by us providing that information, you can start to make a plan for transition. And that's why it's really important. It helps our teachers because it says, you know, if there was if there was a pattern across the class, maybe that, maybe that lesson could have been delivered differently or we need to go over it again. But it's really useful for schools for their individual students to to help them have you found that um that schools are very open to having that amount of of information because i'm just wondering if they might see it as a criticism if you're saying look between i mean the trouble with the conformity and, and everything of a school is that if one child doesn't have to start till half nine then yeah the um and schools are very i, I mean my experience is schools are very inflexible about that you, the child 
is either punished or detention. There's all sorts of things to try and get them into a classroom. And so almost and the you're parents, almost rewarding them. You know, the they're, they're working hard yeah. and they're working more productively. But I can see a place where a school might see that as a criticism. Yeah, I think you're. I think you'd be. I think you'd be. You'd be right to have that, that caution, Chris. But the way I suppose you look at it is, the children that are coming to our provision, although thousands in the country are using it, there are hundreds of thousands of young of young of young people, and so you are looking at children who are at a point where they really need something different, not a child who is just perhaps not fancying it um, for whatever reason. Um, and so there is a tacit understanding, and children are really clever. Like they know underneath that is a crisis for that young person probably and that's not the same as the situation I'm, I'm, I'm in and so there's like an under, there's an understanding they're really astute also schools do a really good job of making sure the norms often do a good job the norms of what's expected for you to access those things are, are, are upheld and the, the young person who needs a later start for whatever reason it's always reviewed it's always got to be temporary it's always got to be what's right for that child at that time and it's the structure you put around it I would, we, you know, someone who just allows a school that might allow that to happen in a very free and easy way, just click on, click off, is going to create problems for themselves. But the one that structures it with, okay, we're going to do this, but you're going to also be talking to this learning mentor at the same time. You're also going to be making sure you're doing some exercise. We're going to work with your parents on helping you create routines at home. Um, this is what I was saying earlier about school. Think about that, what I've just said there. Like I've said, the school needs to do all of that that's so much to do for a school we're talking yeah. about even influencing a family but they do do it that is what they're doing i used to see most incredible heads of year doing that and they're the ones where you slot something online in and it, and it and it really works and i think um when you combine that i guess it's the astuteness and and sympathy of young people with the extra work a school does around something like this um it it, it works and in many cases the child is going from a point of being not not a lot is going right for them Online makes them more confident. We did a survey today, uh, actually, about our young young people about how much more confident they are for learning online. It was it was so good to see just how many felt more uh, an increase in confidence. But they're on a journey. They want to go back to something else. Some of them want to stay online, and I think that's fine. But others want to get back to school. The reality is, for most of them, they want to go to um, have a really bright future, have options open to them, however that happens. So people generally see it as a solution as opposed to a reward, I suppose, what you were saying there. But you're not wrong. If it's handled in, in the wrong way and the, the narrative I've just given and the reasons, you know, aren't, aren't explained well, perceptions can be different, can't they? So it, it needs, you know, good leadership, I'd say. And leadership, I think, is is key on that front. But I think that, you know, we're discussing the rigidity of the school systems at the moment, which is a really interesting um, kind of access point to digital and, and online, if you like. Um, and, I, and I wonder, actually, how, how, from our experience, teachers are very aware of kind of the opportunity in blended learning and online. But as you quite rightly outlined, Sandro, the response when the pandemic kicked in and the need to shift everything almost immediately to an online um, format in order to continue providing education. And we are not going to talk about um, digital agency and access and and this idea that, you know, one minute you're being told that six hours of screen time is bad for you, but you're supposed to be doing six hours in front of a, a school to do, your, to do your classes, not least if there are five of you in the house and there is only one device, you know. So, but there is this idea that, that the 
that the traditional format, that rigidity of school, can now change as a result of this blended learning opportunity. And this is how children learn. You spoke very much about pedagogy, and pedagogy is something very much that we invest a lot in. And this idea that the curriculum and the learning methods and the techniques are not suitable or relevant for children. They're there really to only help teachers assess and mark the child's progress rather than actually assess the child's actual progress. And this idea that the online is, is potentially a bad thing, uh, you know, to be able to do all of your learning online. But presumably, as, as we become more technically literate and we're inher inherently digitally literate, you know, I'm sure your children, my children have been since they were kids. This is not something that we have to teach them, but but rather this is an this is now an expectation for learning. Um, do you think that's fair? That there is a digital kind of digital element or a flexibility towards online learning as, as being an expectation. That's the question you're asking. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, as a child now, you grow up with devices, you grow up with yeah. access to technology. Yeah, yeah. Do you not think it's about time that we started looking at the way that children learn and learn through their experiences, through video games, through everything yeah. else, and take some of those learning principles, science? Yeah, and apply I think it? I, I would say it's not even an expectation. It's a reality already. Young people are learning through um, through digital means. Just, because just they as can watch well. a YouTube video, right? They can sit there they can. And... I mean, yeah, and and the quite and if it's a very high quality video and it's and, and that the pedagogy gets really good and they're a child that can cope with um, being reasonably passive at the point of delivery, they might be doing something in the background, note taking, whatever. Then that would work really well. Not for all. No. I think the flexibility is about thinking about its rule. The way I like to look at this is this: this we weren't podcasting in in the nineteen twenties, but if you're talking in the nineteen twenties about um, uh, about schooling and you're thinking about the next the next the next vogue or you're trying to imagine what it would be like with the with access to the internet or, or even before that and you're thinking about education for uh for women or for people from certain classes and things like that the say it's the same mindset it's it's initially this this won't work because how will it fit but the how will it fit question is all about how it fits with what you've got now and the system you've got now this is where the investment argument comes in Whereas actually, if you reimagine what education looks like and, and what it's got to fit into, and you don't start with that framework that can't move, it isn't very hard to understand how those things can, can fit in. And we've done it throughout history, where more classes, more genders, um, people from different ethnicities have all been included in, in much more progressive education systems as we've grown. We're now at a stage where it's uh, children who can't access schooling or the inclusion of, 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 of things that are more digital. The reality is, this is going to be a part of young people's learning in a more increased fashion. My daughter is in primary school at the very beginning of it. By the time she gets to the end of secondary school, I cannot imagine fewer than 30% of her lessons are going to not be delivered on the screen because it's, it's going to give her access to a, a really high quality teacher at all times who can maybe teach across different schools. You have fewer issues with kind of um, uh, miss, uh, cover and whatnot. It's going to give her the integration of resources. Think about the, th the way that you might walk around your home. You've got your, your speakers and your kettle and your fridge all integrated with your phone and your doorbell. You've got all of these resources that are going to be coming in. We, we use at Kings into High and, and uh, Read Club. And we use this. So the, the textbooks are, are immersive. We've got VR. It's immersive. 
loads of the tools that we use in Academy 21 to get kids to to kind of do group work and collaborate and things are, are part of, they're really seamlessly part of it in the same way that we might have you know, think about all the AI tools that, that that people talk about now to like help you with the organization or, or your copy or whatever it is you're doing that's the way it's going to be and we're going to have a much richer curriculum for it because there's more accessibility because there's you're able to get the best people in front of more uh, young people more of the time and so you have to go with it you have to imagine don't think about your framework now think about what's it going to look like in 20 years when, when most socializing is happening online but there's bigger there are bigger questions here though sandra aren't there i mean that that's one element in uh, you know and it's great that it's that but in order for that to happen presumably the curriculum needs a f over i mean at the moment it's very knowledge heavy and, and delivering a knowledge heavy curriculum i mean i say knowledge heavy it's exclusively knowledge based right effectively and and to deliver a knowledge based curriculum online and in blended learning there needs to be a reimagining of of whether or not that's relevant suitable or appropriate and that's then and then yeah. and then on the other hand you talk about all of these connected resources which is in when you were talking earlier about, you know, my children do the same. They'll be looking something up. I'll say something. They'll, they will be searching for it and cross-referencing it and checking it. But then you've got the AI argument. And all of a sudden, you've got to start thinking about, well, how do we teach children to make sure yeah. that the information yeah, that they're getting is not misinformed and not disinformed? Yeah. So there's a whole other set of things going on. So it's not just about changing that curriculum, is it? It's it's about the holistic approach, as you say, reimagining education think, completely yeah i think i think with a curriculum we, in my view of it is this a curriculum is is both it both sets a tone and is reactive to the size society that it is in so it, the, the sets a tone thing is i i actually do and maybe we're going to disagree on this aspect but i do believe there is a fundamental importance of establishing what what is key learning or or what is what what are things the best that the Agreed. The, the best things that have been written by the best people, not whole curriculum, but and but particularly how did we arrive at that? So Agreed. How did we go from Plato to Aristotle, through yeah. to through to Enlightenment philosophers, through to today, and teaching that. And that's really important. And I, and without that, actually, you can't get kids to be critical thinkers. If you don't have knowledge of something or context, you you can't be a flexible, problem-solving, critical twenty-first century thinker. It's not possible. Um, because you don't have anything to draw. But it has to be contextualised knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and, but then also, you, and this is where I think we will agree. Um, we've got to, we've got to think about exactly what you said. There's the reactive bit is the curriculum should teach children to cope with the society that it's, that they're going into. And at the moment, that is, you know, thinking about unconscious bias and how we approach other uh, people from uh, other backgrounds. Thinking about AI and the fact that what we're going to be presented more often than not uh, in the future. It's going to be a question about whether that actually occurred or not at all. Or even um, if it was written, if it's correct, if it's written by a white middle-aged man that's programmed and coded it that only looks at a very specific narrow field. Yeah, absolutely. But we see this in lots. You saw, you know, the recent strikes in Hollywood. But that, that's about that. That's about you know, preserving the reality of something. So these are things that we need to teach. Now, I have no doubt schools will do that well because schools just react to lots of it. But where it isn't so done so well is often the support schools get the resources they get the all of those things that allow them to do it and so often it's piecemeal so there will be some schools doing it really well but others who can't because they don't have the wherewithal or, or the expertise um and it's the same with arguments about kind of um uh personal social health education you know constantly you'll hear people saying this should have been taught in school if i mean they would you'd need a 50-hour school week to if, if, if everything was in that but actually 
you've really got to think, and this is probably this is probably a bit more interesting point, is what are the other social institutions or social frameworks that are going to contribute to this? Because I see a lot of conversation about what school is going to do in the future for this and that, and I think they'll be up for it and there's great professionals, but what are we doing to support fam the family unit or the, the neighbourhood and these other um, units of organisation to actually do what they need to be doing? Because if you're just relying on things coming through the school, like you're coming through the hat, it's like saying the hospital is the place to deal with all health concerns. Well, it isn't. The supermarket is just as important in how, in how we you know, market our food and things like that. Same with schools, children's behaviour, children's access to school. It, 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 you can't just solve it in a school. And so there is probably a conversation to be had about how we elevate all of that. Because actually, you know, think about AI, like you said there. They probably won't access it very often in school, especially if the government's going to ban mobile phones in schools. That's not going to happen, but they will be at home. But the onus and shifts, doesn't it? I mean, and I think that's where I think that's is that what you're trying to say is, is that actually there needs to be a more holistic approach from society, businesses, government, parents to be able to better inform learning. Yeah, I think so. And, and young people themselves, an agency for young people themselves, because, you know you've got to make sure that they are they understand their role in it and their responsibilities within it as well so to give an, to give an example right back to the attendance thing whose issue is attendance in school at the moment who, who whose problem is it this is the question i i, I often um will ask when i'm asked about attendance. if you speak to the government they'll blame the parents and start fining them. <laughs> right yeah right okay well the it's everybody's issue because it's not just an issue for that child that's an obvious one the parent because i'm sure they've got really fraught relationships at home because because of that can be really challenging but it is an issue for society because if if they can't be happy and productive young people um and contribute to uh, and and you know and and contribute in a way that they're comfortable with and, and benefits the, the whole that is going to affect everybody and, and it affects everybody in lots of ways how the fabric of society and how enjoyable life is but actually we haven't we have an aging population we at the moment we're in 20, 2028 we'll have something like 400,000 fewer primary school students in the United Kingdom than we do now. That will obviously wash into secondary school. It's not, it doesn't take too much of uh, thinking to think, well, when I'm having my pension, who is going to be the productive person to fund that? And that's why the absence thing matters. If I'm being really um, uh, kind of thinking from a monetary point of view, it matters to everybody. So, so the person who isn't even a grandparent, who has nothing to do, who hasn't really got any children in life, it's still their problem. And so that's what brings me back to the, the society issue is it's really fundamental that we get this right and we invest in young people and we think actually long-term about it. Um, and there's loads of getting into that. That's why digital and online services are really important. That's why the curriculum that you've mentioned is it's really important to think about how prepared it makes people for life. It's all interconnected. It's, but you know that is complicated and, and it's not the only interconnected problem that, that there is but I, I do sense in the conversation now that it's still very much about what can can schools do and, and parents but actually it's it's we need we need more we need wider thinking than that it's a it's a it's a crisis that needs resolving in a, in a very broad um, way. Chris sorry I, I interrupted. I said yeah sorry no I was just I Sorry, we move on so fast in this podcast that I, yeah. I, I, had, a, I had a thought about digital natives five minutes ago. Um, I was The thought I just had then as you were talking, Sandro, was um, in this market-led economy that we have and, and the, the conservative idea of competition and everything, 
I wonder if now whether schools, because they just deliver on that national curriculum, that, and, and I do agree with you, and I think Tamir was shaking his, uh, not, sorry, not shaking, nodding his head. Uh, of course we need core knowledge. Yes, absolutely. Otherwise you end up with the Flat Earth Society taking over and then we're all in trouble. Um, you know, how are we going to deal with, with all these conspiracy theories and everything else if children haven't got some actual fundamental truth that they've mm, learned? Absolutely. So, of course, we do need... Um, I do think it goes too far in, in school. Each, as we always use the word siloed, that each, each subject area is siloed, looks after itself. So history is promoting history and science is promoting science. And it's not really integrating itself. Uh, that's, that's another discussion. But the... The one I just thought was in this modern world you're talking about where everybody and the future where everybody has to be responsible for the society we live in and everybody is a part of it. Schools then in that in that case have to justify their existence in my mind that when a child says to them, well, why am I learning this? And what is the point of this when I'm 20 years down the line? And the school has to be able to say, well, that's because this and this and this and this. Whereas I think at the moment, and I think the mobile phone one sort of plays into this, although it's a slightly different area, that the government's reaction to mobile phones is to ban them. And yet there is a real need in students to be looking at them. And I don't mean the, I, I don't agree with the social messaging each other. I'm not talking about that. I was doing supply um, earlier this year in a grammar school. And while I was teaching, I'm an English specialist, and while I was teaching GCSE poetry, I'd start talking about the romantics and at the back, there'd be a couple of kids on their phones. And I knew in the school you weren't supposed to do this, but there seemed to be a tacit OK. It was a grammar school and they were sort of well behaved. And, and I knew they weren't messaging each other. And I'd go over and I'd just go, what have you found out? And they go, oh, well, we've just found out that, that Wordsworth said this and da, da, da. And while I'm teaching them, they are researching and looking up using their phone, which is much more natural to them, uh, you know, now as digital natives, they, they're, they're quite able. And my son used to do this. Um, he's 33 odd now. But I remember that whenever I said anything to him, he went straight to his phone and he said, that's what my generation does, Dad. You know, we go to our phone and we use it. And I think there's a huge fear in schools about mobile phones, things because of behavior and all the rest. Yeah, it is. But, it is. but the kids are actually saying, no, we want to. We we access this digital information better. Yeah. It gives us what we want. You've you've got to meet us halfway. Don't just ban. I think um I think I think it's a really interesting point, and I'm probably going to depart a little bit on this as well. But that you know that's part of the joy of, of having these kind of conversations. The access to information digitally is crucial, but there are probably ways that schools can do that. Things like laptops and th and, and so on and so forth that are controlled, that allow that to happen, like the Wordsworth. Uh, conversation that you're talking that you're talking about there um but then avoid what are and i've seen it personally many times in, in, in my pastoral roles it, the inevitable issues that the mobile phones cause in school and the inevitable issues that uh, and i'm not just talking about the behavior i'm also talking about the addiction to mobile phones that that we have as a society and i'm not even talking about children here because i myself recognize behaviors with my mobile phone that are very unhelpful um and so what i would say is the the number the, the kind of the ethos of what you're saying about the access to digital information I completely agree with and we should be providing that to young people um but through a personal mobile phone device for me wouldn't be the way um and therefore you need to make sure schools are able to give access to a laptop to every to, to every child in a lesson and many do have that since the, since the pandemic um the school I was in actually that that was what we were able to do 
it also helps with the uh, the thing you were talking earlier, Tamara, about um, you know access to to having a laptop to do work at home. You know that the the, the 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 vision for in terms of poverty. So that's my that's my kind of my my kind of take on that is is there is pretty good research now or, or pretty good uh, understanding that having access to mobile phones in the school day, whilst you have those incidental moments that you described there that are brilliant because kids are brilliant the rest of the stuff that it causes is is really problematic and and leads to a reduction in success for young people so what you need to do is think about well what are we trying to achieve here what's the good bit about it make sure they can do that but don't make it with the personal device and i think that i think that's healthy but at the same time you then need to teach the young people well, as soon as you leave the school gates you you've got your phone and you do what you want so we've got to teach them how to use it effectively yeah. and and that's and that and that's really important but again whose role is that is that a school's role to teach young people how to use their mobile phone effectively when they're outside of school i'm not so sure i'm not so sure i think they i think they have a role in it in terms of teaching them how to be safe online and the safeguarding aspect but in general that's actually almost like a personal choice thing and it's, it's an ethos of the family is the family very tech savvy do they want their children to be doing that often you know that's their choice and we do we have liberty in this country to to bring children up in in the way that we see fit others want them away and locked up in the bedroom when the child gets home and they're out doing rural things so i think it's i think it's interesting i think you get into you get into lines of argument where you're talking about um uh, the ways in which people want to, to bring their young their young people up but I, I would say in general what you're saying about that access to digital information it, we can't be retrograde in it we it, it's there and actually helps young people helps young people and it's how they're going to work you know i, yeah. I think uh, i work from home now and i'm a teacher I mean, just think about that i mean that really 10 15 years ago yeah. you said that to someone they'd be like how what that's not that's not a thing but it is a thing and so you've, you've got to, you've got to help them understand that 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 that, that world that we're in. And that's what we try to do in online school you know we we talk a lot about uh with, with young people about um how to navigate how it feels to learn online, not just the, the information you're going to be bombarded with, but how do you feel being in a setting that's your home and also your work? How do you manage that to distinguish between those things? Um, how do you ensure you stay social and stay physically active? We've got an active time thing that we do with our kids now, which is is really good. And I just think I think that it's it's complex. There's lots to think about. Yeah. Um, to that. I think I think you're sorry. I, I I just think you're right about the um, the mobile phone is is the wrong tool. Is, uh, for what? For, what, for now, for now. But in ten now. years' time, we might have a different conversation, Chris. Like we might be saying, actually, what? yeah, we don't know. We don't know. But in the in the moment, in the here and now, it doesn't feel like. Um, I think the attachment of the mobile phones is much greater. So the, the 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 point is, the mobile phone at school, you're responsible for the child at home. But if something happens at school on a mobile on a personal mobile device, if it's a picture or anything else, this is where this is where all the arguments come up and the extension of which that kind of school life can extend into personal life and <laughs> online bullying and, and all of that stuff, which is, I think, a conversation for another time, because uh, I think, you know, we're, we're we're coming up to the end of the podcast and I, I do want to wrap it up. Um, but look, Sandra, I just wanted to say um we would love to have you back on. There's a lot more to talk about. We'd love to know more about how Academy 21 is implementing yeah. these changes, um, you know, and, and talk about the way in which you guys approach these provisions. Because I think these are really important conversations, especially in, an, in a climate right now where, as we all know, especially LEA schools have a huge problem with budget, a huge problem with curriculum. And if this is something that they can utilize to help deal with plug in some of the, the gaps then it's it's something definitely um that we should be talking more about and and you guys have been doing it 
long enough uh, to know to know uh, to know best. So, um, Sandro, thank you very much for your time today, and um, yeah, and we'll be getting you back on soon. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? I mean, for anybody that wants to know more about Academy Twenty One, yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, thank thank you both, uh, Tamara and Chris. It's been it's been enjoyable to talk, and uh, you know, you can tell I'm very passionate about online education and inclusion. Um, there isn't much more important, I think, in education um, than making sure that every child can access it. If you want to know more about Academy 21, you can head to our website. You can obviously Google Academy 21.academy21.co.uk. There's a really easy contact form on there. So if you're a school um, you want to know more the, or, or a parent, you can find out more. And equally, we've got Kings into High. So that's uh, kingsintire.co.uk. And you can find out more as a parent about the, the provision there. And there's there's all sorts that that, that, that we can advise on. And, and I think the, the best thing to, to leave on is just to say that it's an incredibly rich and varied community online. Um, you will find people like, like in your same situation. You'll find people gunning for the same aspirations as you are. Um, but it'll, it'll also benefit from people that are in completely different perspectives. Um, and that, that rich tapestry is something that is very hard to emulate uh, elsewhere. So come and check us out. We, I'm sure we can um, help in many situations. And I look forward to talking to you guys again. Brilliant. Chris, is there anything that you wanted to add? Uh, no, just that it's... Um... It's been really interesting talking to someone with so much experience in school who's then doing something very innovative in looking forwards um, and trying to solve some of the problems that we've all met in school. We've, um, every, every time you have a child who is, who is behavioural or has some issues or whatever, your heart goes out and you think, how can I help this child? Because you don't want to leave. It sounds like a cliche, but you don't want to leave anybody behind. As you say, right. At all. And, and that seems to be where Academy 21 is coming from. Yeah, a great way of putting it. We, that is that is our MO, to make sure that no, no, no child's behind. There's no, there's no reason. It, it's, it's, it's everybody's responsibility for that, and we're, we're just a, a part of that solution. Well, there you have it, guys. Thank you very much. Great to chat, uh, and we will see you next time.